All right. Well, what is up, everybody? It is good to be together this morning. Um, man, I'm excited to be sharing with you guys this morning. If I haven't met you before, my name is Kent Ramsey. I'm on staff here uh, with the church. Just super honored to be sharing with y'all this morning. Man, that video was awesome, wasn't it? Like, I feel like that's why we do church here. We have just like so much to be thankful for this, this morning. Don't we? Do you, do you guys feel like you have a lot to be thankful for this morning? Um, maybe it's just me. I don't know. Maybe I have rose-colored glasses on. I actually, um, I got married uh, a little, of, little under, or a little, over, little under two months ago um, to my, my beautiful wife Lauren. So, just felt like I had a ton to be thankful for uh, this Thanksgiving. And, and um, you know, it was it was crazy. This week we got to celebrate um, Thanksgiving for the first time as a couple, which was just new and, and like super cool. I actually have a picture of it. We can throw up there real quick. That's us. <laughs> Um, doesn't that turkey just look awesome, too? We made that. Like, we actually did a thing. We made a turkey. Uh, it was so good. If you've ever seen the movie Christmas Vacation, I actually expected it to be like that, where you, like, cut into it, and it's just dry and, like, bah, like empty. Um, but it wasn't, so cut into it, and, and Lauren did a great job. It was so good, and that's kind of like a double-edged sword, really, when turkey is good, because then you just eat way too much of it. Um, and so I feel like this morning I'm here, and I'm kind of still recovering a little bit from uh, the food coma from Thanksgiving. So anybody with me? You ate a little too much for Thanksgiving? Yes, yes. Cool. Um, what about Black Friday? Where are my Black Friday people at? Anyone go out for Black Friday shopping? Okay, nice. Love Black Friday. Um, I tried to go out. I drove by Walmart, and it was just like insane crowded. So there was like literally no way I could get in. So I, I didn't get to, to do it. Um, I do think it's funny, like the contrast between, uh, between Thanksgiving and Black Friday. Like, isn't it just kind of weird? We go from being like thankful for like the, the few things we have to like, I need five flat screen TVs or I'm going to kill someone. <laughs> like, it's just insane. Maybe you've seen this meme before. You can throw that up there. You mean to tell me that people trample over others for sales exactly one day after being thankful for what they already have? I just, yeah, I think that's so true. I think that kid is just so, so cute, too. He's like, what are you talking about, Willis? Um, but hey, the point is, whether you're here today and, and you're kind of like me and, and you're recovering from, from Thanksgiving dinner, or if you're here and you're recovering from Black Friday shopping, man, we're glad that you're here. Um, and you're in luck, because we're actually going to talk about this idea of, of recovery today. Um, and we're going to do it by looking at this book, a, a really old book in the Bible called Nehemiah. Uh, maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't if you haven't been in church for a while. Um, but Nehemiah is this book um, in the Old Testament. It was written in uh, somewhere between 445 and 432 BC, so it was written a really long time ago. And we're going to look at it um, for this reason. I'll give you a little background. So during this time, um, Jerusalem, like the, the, the capital city in Israel, um, the folks were just returning from being slaves, from being captives in this nation of Babylon. And, and the Persian king kind of takes over, releases uh, the Jews to, to be able to return to Jerusalem. And so the Jews return, and, and actually when they get to Jerusalem, they're just in awe of how bad the conditions are. Like they return from slavery, and they, and they walk into Jerusalem, and they're looking around, and the wall that they had built is just in rubble. The, this temple that was like this monument, like the, the main part of the, of the city was burnt to the ground, and the people's lives are just in shambles. And they get back, and they're just looking around, and they're wondering, man, how do we recover? They're looking around, and they're like, man, this, this city uh, isn't what it used to be. How do we get this, this city back to what it used to be? Um, and we're going to look at, at them as they kind of ask this question, how do we recover this morning? Because I wonder how many of us here today are kind of asking that same question. 
right? I'm wondering how many of us are kind of looking around at the nation that we live in and we're kind of saying, man, this isn't the way things used to be. Like, how do we get things back to the way that they were? How do we recover? Um, and maybe it's not about the nation for you. Maybe for you it's, it's something with your life. Like, maybe you're here and your life just isn't what it used to be. Maybe you need to recover from, from some kind of an addiction or, or a divorce or something really serious. Or maybe you're in the room and you're actually like, no, Kent, my life is actually, like, pretty good right now. Um, well, the reality is, even for you, even for people that you feel like you're doing pretty good right now, you're still going to make small mistakes, um, even if it's something small like eating too much turkey or spending too much on Black Friday. We all um, need to recover in some way. Um, and what better time to do it than, than now, going into the holiday season? So um, we're going to do that today. We're going to try to recover together. And if you don't remember anything else I say, uh, the big idea for you is this. You can write this down in your handout if you're, if you're following along. The big idea is if we want to recover, we need to discover the real Jesus. If we want to recover together, we need to discover the real Jesus um, this morning. And um, I actually grew up, just to give you a little background on me, um, I grew up uh, in a Christian home, and uh, I actually had a, a picture of Jesus above my bed, like, like a, not in like a weird way, like a poster, like on the ceiling or anything like that. That would be really strange. Um, it was still a little bit weird. I had like a little photo of Jesus, like on the wall behind my bed. Um, and, you know, it was this photo of Jesus where, you know, he had like just the chestnut kind of brown hair and the blue eyes, and just looks like the kind of guy you just want to like curl up in his lap and you wanted to sing to you. You know what I mean? Just like, just like this lovable Jesus. And this was the picture, like the literal picture of Jesus that I had in my head as a kid. And there's nothing wrong with that. I know all of us probably have a picture of Jesus um, like in our minds. Um, but I remember the day when it sort of dawned on me that Jesus was a Middle Eastern man, and it just like kind of blew my mind. You know what I mean? Um, so I just want to say that, you know, if you're here and you're like me and, and you're already a Christian and you already sort of have a picture of Jesus in your mind, um, you know, maybe today you'll sort of rediscover Jesus in a fuller, fresher way. Um, and, and, you know, if you're here and you're not a Christian, maybe you'll just discover him for the first time. And we're going to kind of encounter a few things along the way that sort of we need to work through if we're going to discover the real Jesus together. So we're going to work through a couple things, and then at the end, we're kind of going to tie it together and, and discover him as a group. Um, but before we do, I do just want to say one more thing. Um, so obviously I mentioned we're looking at this book, Nehemiah. And uh, if you're in the room and you're just like, man, why would, if we're going to discover Jesus, why would we go to the Old Testament? Because um, spoiler alert, Jesus isn't born until the New Testament. I don't know if I ruined the Bible for you. Um, but, uh, but here's the thing. If you're feeling like, why are we looking to the Old Testament? I just want to say, believe it or not, like we see Jesus all throughout the Old Testament, right? Like he's not like going to pop out at you, like, ah, I'm here. Like, he's not like walking around or anything, but like there's so much in the Old Testament that actually points us to Jesus. I was, um, one analogy that I love, um, I heard from a pastor named John MacArthur, um, and he says it's kind of like, like finding Jesus in, in the Bible. It's kind of like, where's Waldo? Um, does anyone know where's Waldo in the room? Okay. In case you don't, in case on the off chance there's somebody here that doesn't know where's Waldo, Waldo He's this guy, he dresses in, in a red and white sort of outfit, and he has kind of like a peppermint cap on. And, uh, you know, the whole point of the game Where's Waldo is you got to find Waldo in just this mass of chaos. You know, and if you know what Waldo looks like, it's, it's pretty easy to spot him. But if, could you imagine playing the game Where's Waldo if you, like, had no idea what Waldo looked like? You just couldn't play it. 
it would be like just pretty much a waste of time. Like you, you wouldn't be able to play it. But if you know what Waldo looks like, you can spot him pretty easily. That's kind of what it's like finding Jesus in the Old Testament. You're not going to find him on every page. Um, you're not going to find him all over the place, but he's there. And if you kind of know what you're looking for, you can spot him. Um, and so if you're here today and, and maybe you've never sort of identified Jesus with the Old Testament or never, never seen him there, man, there's a small chance that maybe you don't know uh, what to look for or maybe you don't know even what the real kind of full Jesus really looked like. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look for him together um, in this book, Nehemiah. And again, the big idea is that if we want to recover, we have to discover the real, real Jesus together. Um, so you know what? Let me, um, let me pray before we dive in, and then, and then we'll, we'll start there. So pray with me, guys. Father, I'm just uh, thankful that you've brought us all here this morning. Lord, I know that it's not by accident. Lord, that you speak through your word and you have something that you want to, to share with each and every one of us this morning, whether it's small or whether it's big. Lord, so we pray that your Holy Spirit would just be here, would possibly convict our hearts. Lord, and we pray that we would just hear the good news of, of your gospel, Lord, that would just compel us to recover together. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let's dive in. Um, like I said, we're going to be in Nehemiah. If you have your Bibles, you can grab those right now. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be some Bibles in the seat in front of you you can use, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. Um, but we're going to be camping out in Nehemiah chapter 8, and um, we're actually going to go from verse 1 to 12. So let's do that together. I'm going to dive in. So remember, all these people, they've, they've got back to Jerusalem, they've sort of begun recovering, you know, and they, they rebuilt the wall, and they rebuilt the temple, and that's going all right, but their lives are kind of still in shambles. And we're going to pick up there. They're wondering, how can we recover? And here's what happens. Chapter 8 says this. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. All right, I'm going to stop there. So, okay, we've read this first section, right? And, and we have this picture of, of this group of people, and they've all gathered together, and it says, all the people, right? Anyone who could understand, not just one type of person. If you grew up in church, maybe you've heard this before, the, the red, yellow, black, and white, all are precious in his sight. You know, like, that. it doesn't matter when we gather together who you are. It's like anyone who can understand can gather. So all these different people are gathered together, and it says that they gather at this place called the Watergate. And I want us to, to zone in on that word Watergate because it mentions it twice. It mentions it one, once in verse 1 and then a second time in verse 3. And so anytime that you're, you're reading your Bible on your own or if you're studying with someone else, if you're noticing like these repetitions, you want to circle those because they're probably significant. Um, and this place, the Watergate, um, was, was kind of interesting. I think I have a picture up here, a sort of map. Yeah. Um, and so this is Jerusalem. 
uh, during Nehemiah's time. And so you had all these different gates sort of surrounding the wall that they had rebuilt. And they all sort of served different purposes. And the water gate uh, was obviously the place where they would come to get their water. Um, And it's debated whether or not, uh, or whether this was like their main source of fresh water or if it was their only source of fresh water. But whichever it was, the fact that the people gathered here at the water gate together to hear God's word and they actually asked them, hey, bring God's word here to the water gate was probably a powerful metaphor that these people were thirsty for truth. And in the, in the same way that they would gather at that water gate and that they would, they would thirst uh, for like actual water, that they were saying, man, we're thirsty for truth. We want to be refreshed by truth. Um, and so my first point for you guys this morning is that to discover the real Jesus, we need to thirst for truth. To discover the real Jesus, we need to thirst for truth this morning. And I have to kind of unpack that a little bit because... Um, we live in this culture that honestly is just resistant uh, to this idea of truth, isn't it? Like, like if we gathered a group of people, like red, yellow, black, white, it, it, we probably have like red, yellow, black, white versions of the truth or red, yellow, black, white versions of Jesus, wouldn't we? Like there'd be all of these different ways or probably we wouldn't even mention Jesus because that's offensive, you know? To say that there's just one way, you know, in our culture is, is kind of uh, an offensive thing. Uh, to say, and you hear it all the time in college ministry, that if you claim that there's like one truth, that, that it's kind of arrogant, you hear it all the time in college ministry. And usually people, when they're talking about they're just being one sort of way, they bring out this analogy. And maybe you've heard it. Uh, sociologists use it a lot. It's, a, it's an, al- an analogy of, of sort of three blind men and an elephant. And they use it to kind of explain how, how truth doesn't really exist and there's really no way to understand the truth um, but I want to suggest this morning that that is just as arrogant, if not more arrogant, to claim that there's no truth as it is to claim that there's just one truth. Just as arrogant, if not more arrogant, to claim that there's no truth as, as, uh, as it is to claim that there's just one truth um, and that we need to thirst for truth. And I have a video to kind of demonstrate this blind man and an elephant thing and how it kind of breaks down. Um, I think we have it. So go ahead and play it, guys, if, if we got it. Several blind men were walking along and came upon an elephant that allowed them to touch and feel it. This creature is long and flexible like a snake. Not at all. It is thick and round like a tree trunk. No, it is large and flat. Each blind man could feel only part of the elephant. None could envision the entire elephant. In the same way, it is argued, the religions of the world each have a grasp on part of the truth about spiritual reality, but none can see the whole elephant or claim to have a comprehensive vision of the truth. However, this illustration backfires on its users. The story is told from the point of view of someone who is not blind. How could you know that each blind man only sees part of the elephant unless you claim to be able to see the whole elephant? How could you possibly know that no religion can see the whole truth unless you yourself have the superior comprehensive knowledge of spiritual reality you just claimed that none of the religions have. All right. And that is, uh, that comes from a a book that Tim Keller wrote. Has anybody heard that analogy before with the blind man and the elephant? Okay. Yeah. So many of us have, um, you know, and it kind of just, it kind of just blows up a little bit. The video is kind of arrogant, honestly, because the guy's like, how could you know that? But I mean, I feel like I feel like he makes a good point, though. You know what I mean? Like, to say that nobody sees the truth is in itself a truth claim, isn't it? It's like saying that it is true that there's no truth. Do you see the problem? 
It's true that there's no truth. It totally self-destructs in itself. We shouldn't, as a culture, we shouldn't rally around ideas that honestly just, just don't make any sense. What I, I want to suggest is that this morning, we shouldn't dismiss all truth, but we should thirst for real truth. We shouldn't dismiss all truth. We should thirst for real truth together. And here's the thing about, about real truth, and you guys know this, is that real truth, like, when you hear it, it doesn't always go down smooth. You know, like, you hear the truth, and sometimes it, it stings a little bit. Like, you, you, it's not always the thing that you want to hear, but you need to hear it. Is there any American Idol fans in the room? American Idol, we got a couple? Okay. If you don't know American Idol, it's a show where a bunch of people come on, and they audition, and they try to, like, be the, the best singer in, in America, I guess. Um, and in the early stages of American Idol, people audition. Um, and it's not even like a matter of preference, like, oh, I don't prefer that person singing. It's like some people probably shouldn't be singing. Like, it's really bad. And, there, and there's this guy on the show named Simon, and he always is like the guy that is like the bearer of bad news. You know, he comes and he's like, hey, I hate to break it to you, but you sound really bad, you know? And he, he breaks this hard news to people, and it, it never, like, feels good. And everybody sort of hates Simon. If you know the show, you, you, you probably hate Simon, but, like, there's probably a little part of you, too, that loves him because you're like, man, you, you're helping these people out, you know? You're, like, you're allowing them to use some of that time that they would have used, like, like yelling and shouting to actually, like, use in something, like, meaningful, something that they're good at. Um, the truth is kind of like Simon on American Idol, like, like, it doesn't go down, it doesn't always feel good, but we need to hear it. Like, we need to hear the real truth. And, and this morning, you know, I, I said, if we want to recover, we have to discover the real Jesus. If we want to discover the real Jesus, we have to be open to the idea that there is a real Jesus, right? That, that we can't just go around and, and make up our own version of him, that it's always agreeing with us. You know what I mean? Make it whatever, whatever Jesus looks like. Maybe you've seen the, the Jesus is my homeboy kind of shot glass um, that, that we can't just go around and be like, man, Jesus, whatever I'm for, that's what Jesus is for. Uh, we need to thirst for truth if we want to discover the real Jesus. So that's my first point for you guys this morning. Um, but let's get back to the text. So um, we're in this picture and the people gather at the water gate and they're thirsty for the truth. Um, and let's pick up in verse four. It says, and Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Anaiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masaiah on his right hand, and Pedaiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book of the law in sight of all people, for he was above all people. And he opened the book, and all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hodiah, Masiah, Keltiah, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Pelaiah, and the Levites helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. Man, got through that. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And I'm going to pause there again. Okay. So here we have this group of people. They've gathered at this place called the Watergate, and they've asked Ezra to come and read the law, and he's reading it to them, and he's standing up on this platform that they've made for the purpose, and he's sort of sharing with them, kind of like what we're doing right now, but he's got like 
all of these people, I, I read 13 different people plus this whole group called the Levites. He's got all these different people kind of going in and out of the aisles explaining whatever he was reading to them. And so that's what's going on. And here's what I want you guys to hear is that if you have a hard time understanding the Bible, then you're not alone, right? If you have a hard time, even back then, like they had to have people going in and out of the aisles explaining. If you have a hard time understanding the Bible, you're not alone. It's not like reading Harry Potter where you can pick it up and just kind of read from cover to cover, right? In the Bible, there's, there's history in there. There's poetry. There's names that are really hard to pronounce, as you saw. There's like just stuff in there that, that isn't, isn't easy. But point number two for us today, guys, is that to discover the real Jesus, we need to help each other understand the Bible. That's what they were doing. They were helping each other understand the Bible. To discover the real Jesus, we need to do this as well. And we, again, another thing our culture does is it, is it picks up the Bible and it looks at it and it says, this is just a, a book of rules or, or this is something that's kind of like outdated or maybe it's just full of like judgmental stuff and it just says all this stuff about the Bible. And if we're not careful helping each other to understand the Bible, then we can begin to neglect the book and we can begin to think that, man, this thing really, maybe it is outdated. You know, but when we actually seek to understand it and help each other un understand it, this is when we encounter Jesus. This is when we see him. Um, and I know I'm talking about the Bible being difficult. Um, and so maybe some of you are in here right now and you're just like, why would God make it that way? Like, if, why wouldn't God make the Bible easy to understand, like, like a Harry Potter book or something like that? Um, and I want to say just three quick things. Um, first is just kind of off the top of my head. Maybe he did this um, so that we would depend on each other, right? That, that, you know, not everybody in this room is going to get a seminary degree, you know, and not every, everybody in this room is maybe ever going to understand the Bible on your own, but, but some of you probably are going to get seminary degrees. Um, some of you are going to be really gifted in, in explaining things. Some of you are going to be gifted in, in other ways. Maybe God made it this way so that some would teach and some would kind of help explain, and some would, would serve in other ways. Maybe God made it this way so that we would depend on each other, and that the church would come together and be the church. But if that's not, not enough for you, and I don't want to put words in God's mouth today, so I have a couple other thoughts as well. Um, I'll just rattle them off real quick. Did you know, uh, and this is kind of my opinion, but I think it's easier today to understand the Bible than, than it ever has been before easier today to understand the Bible than it ever has been before. And I'm not talking about like we're smarter or anything like that. I don't think that's true. I just think we have more resources available to us. You know, like literally we have commentaries online. We got all of these books available to us. We have YouTube. You can listen to any pastor preach the word of God pretty much in whatever way you want to. You know, we have just all this stuff at our fingertips. The Bible is on your phone. Many of you are, are reading the Bible on your phone today, which is crazy. Like we uh, have this huge advantage today at, at understanding the Bible. And then the, the third point I want to make is that it's probably easier to understand the Bible here in the U.S. than it is probably anywhere else. Probably easier here because we actually have access to Bibles. Did you know that there are places in the world where it's illegal to have a Bible? There's places in the world where it's illegal to have a Bible. Um, I read a story about this woman. Her name is Margaret Nicole, and she actually grew up uh, in the nation of Bulgaria. It was a communist nation, and she grew up there, and, and at the time, uh, the government sent out all these officials into homes and into churches to confiscate all the Bibles because no Bibles were allowed. And, and so this woman, um, you know, who loved the Bible, uh, actually took a Bible and, like, put it in, under her skirt 
because she's like, ain't nobody going to check under my skirt. Like, so she hides it under her skirt, which is a bold move, you know, and, and she actually gets away with it. Um, and so, you know, the government officials leave, probably exhales, we got out of that, and then she pulls the Bible out and goes to all of her friends, and she just rips out a page and gives a page of the Bible to all of her friends. Well, this woman that I'm talking about, Margaret Nicole, was actually uh, this woman's friend, and she, so she got one of these pages, and it was a page of Genesis. Um, thankfully, she didn't get like a genealogy or something like that, where it's just a bunch of names, but she got a page from Genesis, and uh, she just like treasured this page of the Bible. That's all she had. She treasured it for her whole life, and then one day, she was exiled uh, to the United States. Actually, it was in the 80s. She was exiled here, and she gets here, and, and the first week that she's here in America, she meets some people who speak her language, uh, and she kind of shares her story with them, um, and they were just moved by it, and so they decide to offer to buy her a Christmas gift, and she can get anything that she wants, and you know, they're probably expecting, you know, someone who just moved here to ask for food or like something to, to live on, and, and no, she, she asked for the Word of God. She says, I want a Bible. You know, and, and this was in the 80s when she got here, and so they weren't just like, oh, pull out your phone, download the app. They, like, they were like, let's go to the bookstore, which is like a weird concept to us now. Like, let's, so she, they take her to the bookstore, and uh, here's what she says. <clears throat> Margaret Nicole, she says, I stood there in the middle of the bookstore and wept and cried. I couldn't believe that after so many years and prayers, God had answered. I got a Bible and hugged it to my chest, and I wept, and I wept. My friends, it was joyful, then it became sorrow. First, I thought of my brother. He was a pastor in Bulgaria. He had a 1,500-people church, and he was preaching from a couple pages of the Bible that were copied by his own hand, and so were all the other churches. There were no Bibles allowed. Could you imagine? Man, I sometimes just think I don't realize how privileged I am to live here. I can't believe how often I neglect the Bible, how quick I am uh, to even fall into some of those, those lies that our culture says about the Bible. But man, here in the United States, we have the opportunity to, to explain, to help each other to understand what this book actually means. And when we do that, guys, this is when we discover that the Bible is really all about Jesus. It's not just a book of rules. It's not this thing that's outdated. It's actually really relevant to our lives today. The Bible is all about Jesus. And, and to recover this morning, we have to discover the real Jesus. We'll discover the real Jesus. We have to find him by helping each other understand the Bible. We have to do both those things. We have to be open to the truth, and we have to discover Jesus in the Bible. Man, and when we help each other understand the Bible, I'm telling you, this is when we discover that the Bible, it's all about him, all about Jesus. And I want to I want to kind of um, jump back into the text now. Um, so if you're following along with me, I'm at verse 9, um, chapter 8, verse 9. We're going to pick, pick up again. Here we go. So, you know, they've They've gathered at the water gate, they've, they've heard the words of the law that Ezra read to them, um, and then they've, they've kind of helped each other understand it. That's what's happened so far. Um, so here we go. Verse 9 says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine 
and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Okay. So this last kind of section of, of Nehemiah is what sort of ties it all together, right? We've watched them kind of, kind of you know, hear, hear the words of the law, and then they sort of understand it, and then we see this sort of weird thing happen where they start to weep for some reason, and then this weirder thing happens where, like, the officials, Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, and some of the Levites gather, and they say, no, don't weep. Like, let's actually throw a party, you know, like a Thanksgiving party. Let's, like, straight up, like, eat the fat, you know, like, let's feast, um, which is kind of weird. Um, but here's the thing, guys. That's where I feel like we can see Jesus. Like, it's like pointing us to Jesus. Jesus showed up. Just like I said, he didn't pop out like, ah, I'm here, like, look at me. But Jesus is there if we know what to look for. Check it out again, right? So the people are faced with truth. They're faced with the truth. And they must have seen how far they were from actually keeping that truth because they begin to weep. And this is a really good response, that they, they begin to weep when they see how far they were from the truth. They're trying to recover. And then they, they read this book of the law, and they're like, man, we are so far gone. We have such a long way to go. So they begin to weep, but then, in this incredible act of grace, the people in charge, the Levites, Ezra, and Nehemiah, they say, no, we're going to show, let's instead, let's celebrate. Don't, weeping, that's a good response, but man, we don't have to stay there. We get to celebrate this morning. And, you know, they got to celebrate because they believed that a, a Messiah was coming. But now today, we, we can know that ultimately a Messiah has come. This, this is all pointing us to actually Jesus. Guys, this picture that I just explained to you is this massive picture of grace, getting this thing that they didn't deserve, and truth, seeing themselves in the light of truth. It's a picture of grace and truth. I shared the big idea with you guys this morning. Well, the, the even bigger idea is that, is that Jesus... The real Jesus is full of grace and truth. The real Jesus is full of grace and truth. John 1, 14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is all about grace and truth, the real Jesus. And if that's the picture that we have of Jesus, if we use that text as a lens to look at this passage, then this passage is all pointing us to Jesus, right? They gather at the water gate. They're thirsty for truth. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You know, they're, they're, they're thirsty to, to discover and to understand God's word. We just read this passage that the word took on flesh, that the words that they were seeking to understand would ultimately become Jesus. And then in this act of grace, when they get to celebrate, Right? When they were celebrating, they were actually celebrating feasts that was, that was helping them to remember the time that they had been freed as a nation from, 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 um, from slavery in, in the book of Exodus. Well, that's all pointing us to how Jesus was going to free us from slavery today. Guys, this is all pointing us to Jesus. It's a picture of grace and truth. It's all about Jesus. And if we want to recover this morning... 
if you're thinking about whatever the thing is that you're needing to recover from, whether it's a, a big thing uh, or whether it's a small thing, we have to look to this Jesus. We've got to look to the Jesus that's full of grace and truth. And here's the thing, guys. I'm afraid that, that some of us are looking to a Jesus who looks more like, like Jesus is my homeboy than the Jesus of, of the Bible. In our, in our path to recovery, I'm afraid that, that some of us are, are praying to a God who agrees with everything that we say, or we're, you know, we're, we're praying to a God who's going to give everybody a gold, a gold star, you know, but, but Jesus said some really hard things to the point where if we saw where we were at in light of some of the things that Jesus said, we would actually weep. Guys, we need to look and lean into that truth this morning. We don't need to, to, to avoid the truth. We need to lean into it. Because here's the thing. That's not all that there is. You know, it, you know, if you're the type of person who leans into the truth and, and you begin to weep, well, he, here's the good news this morning, is that the gospel literally means good news, that, that Jesus didn't, didn't say stay there and continue to weep. You know, and it happened here in Nehemiah. They didn't say, well, oh, man, we're so far from, from recovering. Just like, let's just be bummed out and let's just like get what we deserve. We're getting what we deserve. We're just going to stay down here. No. They said, we're going to throw a feast. We're going to party together. This incredible grace. Guys, when we see how far we are from keeping God's law, and then we see how much farther God has come to make a way for us to know him still. In that grace, guys, this is the stuff that's going to fuel us to recover. It's the stuff that's going to fuel us to recover. And I don't know your story. I know everybody has different issues, and all the issues are really nuanced, and there's different things we have to do to recover. And I know that recovery, if it's a really serious thing, is a long journey. But guys, the grace of God and the truth of God is the thing that's going to, going to enable us to, to fight the fight in the long run. It's going to enable us to endure. Guys, we need to look to the real Jesus together. And he's full of grace and truth. And I know that, that um, there's probably some people in here who, um, you know, you have an idea of Jesus and, and, and maybe it looked a certain way. And, and I know that there's some of us in here too when I say words like gospel and I say words like grace. Um, maybe you just have no idea what I'm talking about. Well, what I'm talking about is this, that the, the reality is that the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, right? Everybody's made mistakes. And because of that, all of us deserve punishment, right? Because we've done bad stuff, now, now we deserve punishment. But the good news of the gospel is that we don't stay there, right? We ought to see that. We ought to see how far short we've fallen, but we don't stay there. That, that, that God himself took on flesh, became Jesus, and took the punishment for us so that through faith and trust in him, we could come back into right standing with God. Guys, this is the gospel. This is good news. And I don't know what your idea of church is. Maybe you see church as like this really serious thing where you kind of sort of see your problems and you kind of put your head to the ground. Guys, and I think like some of that's good to like see where we are, to see the truth. Guys, but this morning, know that Jesus is grace and truth. He's both. He wants to invite us into the party together. If you're here and, and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, maybe today would be the day that you see yourself in light of the truth, but then receive that grace for the first time. And if that's you, you know, I, I would just love to, to invite you as we're kind of wrapping things up and as we begin to worship, man, just to find someone in the room and just say, I need Jesus. 
They'd love to talk to you. I know people in the room would love to pray with you. I'd love to invite you to do that. Um, you know, and as we're kind of wrapping things up too, if, if you're in the room and um, you're just kind of sitting here and you're listening to this real Jesus and, and grace and truth and all this stuff and you're feeling like broken, man, just remember the gospel. Remember grace. Stop telling God how big your sin is, right? And let's start telling our sin how big God is. It's grace and it's truth. And we're going to close um, by singing this new song this morning together. It's a, it's a song. It's called Glorious Ruins. Um, and uh, one of the lines in the song is, is, let the ruins come to life in the beauty of your name. Guys, if you're here and you're feeling like just in, in ruins, guys, let's lift our eyes to who Jesus really is. The name of Jesus is full of grace and it's full of truth. Let's worship him together. I'm going to pray. Um, I'm going to invite the band back up and then we'll, we'll worship him.